Lord, and Lord, we, Lord, where else could we go, Lord? Lord, we come to you because you're all, you're all, you are everything, Lord. You're our salvation, and Lord, we love you. We want to, we want to learn to love you more, Lord. So just open our hearts um, to your word today, Lord. Speak to us, Lord, not just tonight, but throughout the week in, in this, God. And Lord, uh, we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and say hi and go ahead and have a seat. I feel like I haven't been here in a long time. And last week we didn't have service, right? And then, so I don't know if any of you heard, but we almost fell off a mountain <laughs> on uh, on yeah on um, on going up the mountain to uh, to where did we go? Arrowhead, and uh, for for Thanksgiving. I don't know what's going on in my brain today. Teaching's going to be epic tonight. Um, and what? Yeah, I know. Yeah, so we, we, we go up, and we go like this, so we, we take off, and you know, okay, we're, we, we had to like change her tires on her, uh, on Lindsay's uh, car, and then, you know, we got chains, and, and then my sister decides, you know, we're going to go behind the entire mountain before we go up, so we go all the way around through Apple Valley, and, and Drew's in, and my brother-in-law Andrew's in this, uh, he's in a, you know, a Toyota Tacoma, I don't know if it's, four, if it has, if it's four-wheel drive or not, I don't know, I think it is, and but, you know, he's plowing through, water, through you know, lakes and stuff pretty much. And then we're in a Chevy Caliber, you know, getting drowned. And, and, then, and then we get we go up the mountain. We get to the point of um, you got to put the chains on, which I did a fantastic job of that. <laughs> and, then, and, and we start going, and it, and it goes from, like, it goes from, you know, pretty snowy. To, you know, it's just kind of snowing, whatever, and you can tell you need the chains to... Um, to Alaska weather, you know, or I don't know, you know, Iceland, and uh, and you know, I'm, and, you know, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm in my in my head. I'm like, you know, I kind of feel at peace about this. You know, God wants us, God wants us to go up to uh, to Arrowhead and be with family, and you know, and this whole time it just seems like everything was saying not to do it. You know, and I'm like, oh, that's the enemy. You know, be, be quiet, woman. You know, and and we're going up and. You know, and she's she's freaking out, you know, and I'm perfectly fine. <laughs> and and then I see Drew's big giant truck as it's going up, just go whoop, bam, hit the side of a mountain. We're like, bah! and we stop, and then I'm like, okay, you know, now it's getting serious. Anyway, and so that's what happened. And then we had so we had to take the kids and literally we're just in neutral the whole entire way down the mountain. And then we get we get we get down, we go to Stater Brothers, we buy the last two chickens in there and it was i i you know we we were just going to start calling people but we didn't and then um and then yeah and then my parents originally i think they told you they were going to come up but uh they, there was there's snow going up the grid because of the weather it was just you know the, the great winter storm of thanksgiving but it was i mean but you know it's funny it's it was such a good time still you know all that adventuring you know almost almost dying and then just sitting around and we save Thanksgiving, you know, and I don't know. I just, I'll never forget that Thanksgiving, that's for sure. Anyway, if you brought your Bibles to the Bible study, 
turning them to Matthew chapter 15. We'll be picking back up at verse 29. And uh, we've just been kind of plugging along. I've entitled this series in Matthew, Be Disciples, because I've, I've noticed something as, as we're doing this, as, as we're reading about the life of Christ, I've kind of noticed that's what, he, that's what he's been doing this whole time. He, he was making disciples. You know, and, he, and he, he, took, he specifically took 12 men and he poured into these men. And, uh, you know, and, and look what happened. You, you see the uh, Christian tradition and, I don't know, you sitting inside of a church, these men turn the world upside down. Has the church always been super perfect? No. You know, because the church, the church is made up of people. You know, Christ is, is the, um, the head of the church, but, you know, it hasn't been perfect. But, you know, we're not perfect. We're sinners. Um, but you, you see what they did. And, and, you know, and, 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 you know, as I go through this and as I'm reading it and I'm studying and I'm looking, I, I'm trying to look into the details of their relationship with the Lord. You know, and, and I kind of tie it to my relationship with Jesus because, man, they walked around with God. You know, and, and I just, and it's killing me to wonder, wonder what those, those campfire conversations were like with, with Jesus, you know, you know, besides the things that we have written down. You know, did they, because did, like, I like to think in my head, I would have been like, so what happened when you spoke the world into existence? You know, like, how was Adam, what did Adam look like? You know, things, dumb things like that. Or, but then I think of just the fellowship of, of, of just a bunch of guys sitting around and whoever else, the, you know, Mary being there probably and, you know. And that just that that fellowship that they had, and and maybe they did maybe at first it didn't really dawn on them that they were they were with the Lord. But then I wonder, you know, I was watching something, and um, I think it was Pastor Jason Duff, and he was saying, you know, before that first Christmas, the Lord was in His throne room saying, "I'm getting ready to go down there." You know, eventually I'm going to get to the point where I'm going to call Peter, and I'm going to call John, and I'm going to call James and Judas. You know, and, and I'm going to develop a relation. They have no idea. You know, and I don't know. I don't know you guys. And as I'm going through this, that's just, that's just, it's, that's wild, right? I mean, that's crazy to think about. Just, you know, they, they, when they, when they got to the point of seeing Christ risen from the dead and realized that the person that means the most to us in the world is God. And, you know, and, and I've said this a bazillion times up here, but, you know, if you really try to think about that, you know, they they see the risen Lord and it's God because to a Jew, God was sort of out of reach as far as relationship. You know, you had to, you, as a Jew, you were required to do these, you know, the things that were spoken of in the law of Moses. You had the Pharisees who would enforce the, um, the, uh, the oral traditions and the extra stuff that they've come up with. But God was never God the Father to a Jew. It was, it was Yahweh. It was the great I Am. It was, we got to kill, you know, we got to kill sheep, ox, and doves and stuff to be good with him and whatnot, you know. And then after, they re- after Jesus rose from the dead... That was God. That is God. He's still alive. <laughs> and he walked. And he, you know, we, we I, you know, that guy always joke about this. We, we got an argument about which euro is the best. And, and, you know, you know, and even Peter gets in an argument about kill and eat. And he says, not so, Lord. You know, he's talking to his friend. I mean, he's talking to God. You know, but he's talking to someone he has a relationship with. You know, and I don't know. And, and so as I look into that, it's just, that's amazing that we have the same God. That, 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 you know, that up, up, I mean, up until this point, there was a bunch of prophecies about the Messiah that still hadn't been fulfilled yet. And, it's just, and, and you know, Jesus came through on each, each and every single one of those. And I, and I think now, what are we waiting for now? 
That's kind of exciting to think about. How, you know, the real, how, how real Jesus is. How we can have that relationship and how he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. You know, I come as a thief in the night. You know, and I look at this, cra- this, this crazy government and, you know, just not trying to pick sides or say anything about the United States, but just the world, you know, and, and all these cra- this craziness and all these things that are going on. And, you know, it's, and I think, I think it's going to be a real big shock for a lot of these governments. You know, when Jesus, you know, obviously the rapture, but when Jesus is set, set up, sets up his throne and, and comes back. You know, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. And you know what's exciting? It's, you know, I think we share with the apostles who have that close, close relationship and that we do is that we bow now. I think when we're on our knees in front of the Lord, it's not going to be anything we're not used to doing because we do it now. In fact, I, I think I'm excited to do that. You know, I think there's going to be definitely a, um, an aspect of awe, an aspect of wonder, an aspect of fear, even, you know, before the Lord. Not, you know, feel like I'm scared to death. I don't, I don't know. We'll tell you when I get there. But I think it's going to be like, yes. You know, I can't wait to be, I, and I can't wait to be able to go into the throne room whenever I want. I'm just being honest. I, I can't wait to see what the thousand-year reign is going to be like. And we're just waiting on one, one more promise. I mean, what, what really, what, what, if anyone could do the math really quick, what are the odds that every single prophecy is fulfilled? You know, we're waiting on those things. But, but for now, where we're at in Matthew chapter 15, uh, we have Jesus. He, he had just, he's been walking, uh, as he's been going, he's, he's, well, he just healed this, uh, this lady's daughter. And, and she, she came, let's just go back to verse 21. It says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Um, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. You know what I like about that, too? She came and worshipped him. You know, what, what, when, when we're denied something, where we feel denied, we, our first reaction is not to worship. That was this lady's first reaction, was to worship him after, after you know, seeming, seemingly a denial or a no. We, I th- if, you're, if you guys are anything like me, you'd be like, but why? But God, I know, I know, I know, I know this situation, and I need a Yes. You know, it's, I just like that her first reaction in this was to worship. Um, it's, funny, it's, Matthew's, it's funny that Matthew noted that, you know, when he saw her reaction to the no, or what, he, what she thought was the no. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not good to have the children's bread thrown uh, and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then, the, then Jesus answered and said to her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it, be done to you. Let it be done as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. A lot of commentators think that uh, Jesus in this area was dealing with Gentiles. Well, she was dealing with Gentiles here, but it was near a heavily Gentile population. And it could be, as you read what Jesus' response to this lady, it could, be, it could seem kind of cold or, or callous or mean, you know, and it's... it's well, I think uh, everything I read about it, it's, it's in the way that you have to read it. He, he wasn't saying, no, scum, you know, how dare you touch me, you know, that kind of thing. It wasn't anything like that. 
I truly believe as he was doing that, it was in the tone of, of what he was saying, but he was, he was getting, he, was, he wasn't, you know, he was getting her to that place, but I think he was getting his apostles that were following him to that place. Because you know what? There was, there was a centurion, the Roman centurion too, who also comes up to Jesus, who's a Gentile, you know, and he's actually occupying the Jews, and, and, he, and, he, and the, the, the centurion recognizes, you know, who Jesus is, Jesus, you know, God the commander, God the host, the, you know, the, the, the general, the host of, of the armies of heaven. And, he re- and I like that in his military mind. He's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I, I could see that. And he goes to him and says, you know, don't, no, 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 you don't have to come. Why would you do that? You know, you just, just send somebody. Just say the word. And that makes and me as a Marine, too, that makes so much sense to me. Like, you know, yeah, oh, no, you don't have to, you know, sir, you don't have to get up. Just give me the permission. You know, and he does that. And, and, and what, is, what does Jesus say? There's not even that great of faith in Israel. And I think he's trying to show his Jewish followers there, his Jewish apostles, and the, you know, the people that are following him around from Israel, the faith, what he wants to see, and he's trying to get that into them, um, at, least, at the very least into Matthews, because he's going to write it down. Uh, and so he's up there, and now we're getting into feeding the 4,000. I'll read through it, and then we'll go back and go over it. Now Jesus called his disciples in verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 29. Jesus departed from there, um, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up to the mountains and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they, lay, uh, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified God of Israel. In Mark, by the way, as we go through, we'll be referencing Mark and Luke from time to time, um, this is what I call. This is what um, theologians call the synoptic gospels. When you put them together, you get a really good picture. So here's here's something. Here's more of a focused picture. Something that Mark wrote um, in Mark uh, seven thirty one through thirty seven about this event. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the um, region of uh, Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an, uh, and had impediment in his speech. And they begged him to um, put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude, and he put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. I tried to do that to someone the other day. I got in trouble. They looked up to heaven. He sighed and said to him, Ephathia, uh, that is, be open. Immediately his ears were open, and the impediment of his tongue was loose, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should, not, they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all these things. He makes both the, uh, the deaf to hear and the meat to speak. You know, you start telling your friends, you know, yeah, they, they heal. you know, this guy stuck his fingers in his ears and spat in his face, and he was healed, and he could walk around. And, you know, and, you know they got to imagine, the, you know, well, Bob has leprosy. Let's bring Bob and see what, Bob, you know, and, it, you know, you got to imagine that probably caused a chain of, chain of events. But, you know, it's funny. I, I looked up once, what's with, what's with the Lord, like, like spitting on people? You know, I mean, isn't that kind of messed up? Can you, can you just say, be healed? Like, don't spit in my eye, you know? Um, and you know, what, you know what the response was? And I really liked it. It's because with these people, especially in Israel, with these people that have these um, deformities or, or these, these uh, I don't know, deformities from birth or whatever, a lot of people weren't, weren't touching them. You know, they, they, were, they were unclean, or they were cast aside, or, you know, if they didn't have someone to, you know, at least one person to help get them to a place where they could beg, they, they would, you know, they would die. 
you know, they were put, they were cast aside. And now, and then when Jesus comes up, and, and I like, I just like this. I don't know, you know, this is exactly why, but I, I like it, so too bad, no. But uh, Jesus comes up and, and puts his hands on him. When was the last time someone touched that man's face? And now you have God doing something. And, t- and think about it, you know, now get, out of, get out of your head and go into this guy's head that's blind. And he can't speak, and, you know, and, and it just doesn't know what it's like to have human contact, and somebody's doing something. Isn't that crazy? Like, when you think about that, that you know, that suddenly you kind of get it a little bit. You know, you understand what the Lord's doing, kind of, and, 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 and it's divine logic. He's, he's touching someone that needs to be touched, not just healed. And you see that's the way the Lord is. Someone that needs to be spoken to. Someone that needs to be touched, someone that needs to be held on the, uh, you know, emotionally on the inside. That that needs that needs more than just a physical healing, and the more that you know, Jesus and His great compassion and His love for His people. Yes, He's the natural aspects of God. He's going to heal His people, but He's bringing the Word. He's bringing salvation, and He and He just loves these people so much that He wants you know He wants them whole. And we're going to get into later, but I feel the Holy Spirit telling me now, you know, you know what I like about holiness? Besides it's everything that I'm not? You know, it's, it's hard to, it, no matter what I say, this little explanation I'm going to, about to give, I think it's going to be a real, a real great connecting factor to God's holiness. And, you know, just for the fact that it's unachievable and it's almost, you know, if not impossible to totally understand without just faith and obedience. But you know what, you know how one way you can tra- translate holiness is wholeness. And when you look at God's wholeness in the aspect of holiness, I think that kind of connects us because you know what? What in the world are we constantly trying to achieve as human beings? We're trying to be whole because this life makes us unwhole all the time. You know, whether it's our excuse or not, whether you own that or not, we're constantly um, being torn apart and, be, and not being complete. We're, we're trying to complete these things. We're trying to fill that gap in our lives. And God's saying, here I am, I'm holy. I'm that whole. I make you whole, Jesus is saying. When Jesus died on the cross, that, that made you whole. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's going to an unwhole people. And he's trying to, and he's, what he's doing is much more than just, just close, making them whole physically. He's making them, he's making them, making them whole eternally. Or, you know, and, 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 and that's what he's doing with his apostles is he's making them whole and and so, it makes sense to me, I guess is what I'm trying to put out there in the last like 10 minutes, about, about why Jesus is spitting on people and sticking fingers and giving them wet willies and whatnot. You know, it's, it just, it just, it makes sense. That, this, that must have thrilled this person to death. You know, someone's, t- that little instinct. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a depressing place in your life where you wanted to be touched and someone, you know, put an arm around you and it's just like, oh, okay, yeah. I have, and I believe that's what's going on here. Now, Jesus called, in verse 32, his disciples to himself um, and said, I have, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I did not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Um, Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? I like that the disciples like completely forgot about feeding the 5,000. Right? They, they had just fed the 5,000, um, you know, and now, now they suddenly don't remember what to do or how to do it. You know, it's kind of like, like us in our life. We could be the same way um, with that. 
And he said, he just says, how, how many loaves do you have? And he says, seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish and gave them, broke them, and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who, were, now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children, and he sent away the multitudes, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. You see, so God's work's being done. God, God spoke to me here um, as, as I'm looking at this 4,000, trying to, you know, see, I, I, as I go through this and I'm looking for these specific things on God's touch and God, you know, how the, how the apostles looked at the Lord and that human relationship that they had with them. I'm trying to find these things. Not, you know, obviously not trying to find something new because the, the scriptures have been written once, but, you know, I guess new insight, if you will. And well, God, God just kind of spoke to me because you know what's something that's been on my mind a lot um, is is providing, you know, as being a man, I'm getting I'm getting married on the 21st. She doesn't know that yet. <laughs> um, and I'm kidding. She um, getting married on the 21st, and you know, and it's we're doing the Dave Ramsey thing, and you know, I won't shut up about it. She's like, you don't have to tell everybody about our finances. I'm just like, no, no, you want to see our budget? You know, um, it's really terrible, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, and so providing's on my mind. I'm reading, I'm reading the Dave Ramsey book, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to read a book a month. You know, I want to I know what the stock market's all about and all these dumb things I should have done a long time ago. But anyway, that's not really there. But, uh, you know, uh, but provide, being a provider, you know, providing, taking care of your family's been on my mind. So I, I, the Holy Spirit, as I, as, I, as I was preparing this, said, you know, talk about that. And, and in here, you see Jesus is having compassion on these people that he's ministering to, and he's you know, he's providing for him. You know, the right, the right Christian thing is to say here is that God wants to provide for you, but, you know, maybe God wants to use you men of the house as, as providers for your family. And, uh, and so as, 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 as I looked at this, he, you know, he spoke this to me, and I realized I can't feed the 4,000 4, people in my life. But, you know, serving one kind of has a chain effect. Serving one will, will, will feed the 4,000. Not the 4,000, but maybe the four in your house. Not the four in your house, but maybe the two, you and your wife. Not the two, but you. And it starts with your relationship. It starts with coming to the altar every single day. You have to come to the altar. You have to be, you know, you, just, you, you have to be in prayer. You have to be in the Word. We want to hear from God, but we don't want to read the Bible. I'm not saying you don't. I'm just saying in general, right? You know, we, 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 we want to we hear these things. And, you know, Romans 12, 1 through 2, I beseech you, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what, um, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? And you know, I look at that, and that's every day because I am, I am not, I am not um, a living sacrifice. I am not holy. I am not whole. But I have to go to that altar to become whole. And there's things that God needs to burn away to make me whole. You know, this, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to make you complete. I'm doing a work, but you know, I need that. We're going to put that on the altar since you're here today, Sean. You know, and it's like, no, I don't want to do that. But I do have to get, and you have to go. You have to be in prayer. You know, get up and present yourself to God. Understand that, you know, it's Jesus who did the work, who, who saved you as you proclaim his name 
and ask for, ask for salvation, then that, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, that's what, he's the one that, made, you know, the cross, his blood, that purity of his blood washing your sins away, that's what makes you whole. That's what makes you complete is the blood of Jesus. That, that, you know, if Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus is the Son of God and he looks at his Son fondly and then, and then you partake through, this, through the um, death and resurrection of Jesus, God looks at you as heirs. Have you thought about what that means? If, you look, if he's looking, if, if Jesus is, is, is firstborn, Jesus is the heir, so to speak. He's look, and, and if we're joint heirs in that, I can't wait to get to heaven. Not that I'm going to be God. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, to participate in that family aspect of the Trinity that makes me understand God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. A family. And that's where the wholeness is, guys. Families are holy. You know, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. For some reason, I want to get ahead of myself, but I don't want to rush it. Uh, but you, you have to be before. You have to be before that. Uh, Peter in First Peter four seventeen through nineteen says, "For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear?" Therefore, let, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. As to a faithful creator, as you come forward and present yourself as a living sacrifice, knowing that, God, that as, you're, as you're coming to that altar, like in Romans, when you go to Romans 12 and you go before the altar every morning to see what God has for you, to see what the Lord wants from you, you're doing that. That's when judgment starts in the house of God, because this is the house of God. This building isn't, you know, this is just plastic with electricity in it. That's a lot of plastic with electricity, you know. That's my new chair over there. No, but, you know, the, 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 you know your, your temples of the Holy Spirit, so where do you think God wants to start with the judgment? You know, with, with, he wants to start with you, and that's the very beginning. That's feeding the 4,000 members of your household or whatever. It starts with you. You know, as you go before God, you... Uh, you know, the, you know, it says, I like, I like what Peter said. I was in CBI, I was in Calvary Bible Institute, and uh, one of the, one of the uh, students, this is one of the super spiritual students, and I won't say his name in case you, I doubt he listens, but anyway, he, uh, he's sitting there, he's like, what does it mean to be scarcely saved? What does that even mean? Like, what is Peter talking about there? And you know what? And I answered that because I get, I get that 110% scarcely saved. It's because I'm a wretch. You know, I'm, I was, I'm saved by the blood of Christ, but by nothing else. I'm saved by God's grace. You know, by grace you have been saved, not by works, at least anyone. That's what, that's what Peter's saying. Because Peter realizes how much, of a, how much of a dirty sailor fisherman he was and the language he probably used and the things he did that probably he thought, you know, God, why don't you wait outside while I go do this kind of attitude. You know, and, and, and so I get the scarcely saved. It's because I'm scarcely saved that I'm saved by grace, scarcely saved, you, you, you see what I'm seeing there? You, you're, it's by grace you're saved, that I have to go to before the altar of God and say, God, uh, I'm a wretch, I'm evil, I'm not holy. And God's like, oh, I know, but I died for that sin. You can't out me. You're going to do it again, but man, I can't, I'm working, a per, I'm a creator, I'm a redeemer. You know, I, and, and you think, like, the creator, and I, I think I've made one wooden thing in my life, and I had a blast and wish I could do it more, but, like, my dad has made, like, I don't know, he's probably made half the furniture in here, you just don't know it. Pretty sure he made that. But, um, yeah, see, uh, you know, he has that ability, and I, you know, I think that's something he shares with having the mind of God. 
You know, God, God being a creator, but you know what God likes to do? Because what, what is it for God to make any of this stuff? For him, it was just a word. You're sitting on something that, was, that came into existence by the very breath of God. Like literally, he said, let there be, and then it eventually became a chair. Right? You know, if you believe in creation. But what did he do with us? He, 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 yeah, he spoke, but he, he formed us. What is Jesus, Jesus says, you know, but, but I, I knew, I formed you in your womb. You know, I, I've chosen you from the foundations of the earth. You know, Jesus has a relationship. He has an intimacy with people. He, 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 his, this whole thing, you know, it's even in the greatest commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then, and then love your neighbor as yourself. There's a huge, there's a huge, he, I mean, he, he, he came to die for human beings. And he wants us. We're scarcely saved, but he's doing such a, a wonderful work in us. And he wants to start with you individual. That you every day have to get up and go before him because you're scarcely saved. That we commit our souls in doing good. Like it says in James, you know, I do, I, you know, I do good works because of my faith in the Lord. I don't do my works to prove, to prove I have faith. I do it because I believe this stuff. Um, now in Jesus... Uh, now, when Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, Where can we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such great multitudes? And Jesus said to him, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. You have Jesus' heart. His heart is a provider to those who are following after him. And this, this spoke to me because I've been thinking a lot about providing. You know what's a scary, scary, uh, every man will relate to this, I'm assuming, every a scary thought is not being able to provide for your loved ones. And you know, you, you, it's, it's one of those things that if you're, if you're a young man, you, you re, you're realizing, I have to grow up and do that. A human being, I have to feed other humans at some point. <laughs> what? I'm just going to stay single and not ever have kids. That'll, you know, that'll take care of that. No, you know, you're obviously not because then you're going to meet a really pretty girl. You know? <laughs> okay, just kidding. You know? And, um, you know, but I think that's something that comes from God. And I think, I think, you know, like I said, I think the Trinity, you know, we won't ever be able to fully explain, which I kind of like. I like that I can't fully explain God. But, you know, because, I mean, if you could, oh, let me tell you exactly how God thinks. Then would he be God? No, he's bigger. You know, he's 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 mightier than that. There's no way you can totally explain the Trinity. It's just not going to happen. You know, but but in the family aspect, I kind of get it. You know, me like I am my father's son. You know, and and, and you know, I've, I I as far as my mom, like I don't have my mom's sense of humor. I have my dad's sense of humor. Although every time my mom tells a joke, it just kills me because she never does it. But then she'll just like she'll just say these brilliant like one-liners that just kind of dry and slip in there and just slays you. My dad, but my dad and I will just constantly throw the jokes out. You know, my mom said you don't always have to be sarcastic, and I just don't speak that language, so I don't know what she's saying. But, but you know, in that aspect of family, I get that. I get the Trinity, and it makes me just so curious on what it's going to really be like in heaven when when Jesus says there's no more tears. When if you only knew. Um, you know, you, you, you have no idea about the things I have for you in heaven in, in that relationship between the Lord, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and us. You know, and that's going to be so exciting to be able to go up there and, you know, see your loved one and have your loved ones turn you around and go, go see the Lord. You know, there's Jesus. But being able to just to do all that, to be eternally minded in that, 
Anyway, so like, and, and the, but, you know, it, as, we, as we go to the Lord, because, uh, you know, if we're going to be honest, men, as providers, you know, we, it's, it's a very scary thing. What do we do? Well, since we're scarcely saved, we go to the altar of God. We present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, because that's our reasonable service, and we bring it before the Lord. You know, we come to the Lord, God, I, I, you know, I don't know what to do. This is, this is wildly intimidating. She is so pretty, and I don't know why she likes me in the first place, and she, you know, she's everything I'm not, and, and God, what if I blow it, and I can't, you know, I can't feed her children, and I can't, I can't do these, I can't do these, what do I, God, I need help, I take this, take this away from me, and God's up there, and he's like, no, I'm not going to take it away from you. I'm going to work through it. I, I told you I would never leave you, nor would I forsake you. So you know what I'm going to do with this mess? I'm going to, I'm going to take, because you're my mess, I'm going to make you something, I'm going to do something, I'm going to make you whole. And you're going to trust in me. And I'm going to provide. Because you know what? The Israelites did it in the wilderness. And every day I made it rain manna. You know, they, 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 I did it with them in the wilderness. They came up and I, you know, I had, I had my servant hit a rock. And water came out. And then he did it again when I told him not to. And water came out. I still provided. You know, you, you think about that. You think of it really quick for you apologetics here that, that really like the super, like this is why Christianity is real stuff. Like think about the cost it would take to take a million plus people through the desert. Okay, if you don't believe, take, take your own family um, at the height of, of the Coachella Desert and walk them through a month. And, you know, I don't know, save as much money as you want up until then. And see how much it ends up costing you to be able to get provisions from the middle of the desert. And walk around in the heat and all that. You know, it must have been a miracle. It must have been God that was providing for them. You know, a fire at night in the cold desert um, atmosphere. A cloud during the day to, prob- to block the sun on these people. You don't, you don't get to stand in the middle of the desert and not get fried. You know, God was taking care of his people. And God, and, you know, as men, as we go to that, we, you know, and that, that's, I, I think God kind of likes it as men, is that we're a little intimidated and scared about providing because it means we're going to keep doing it. You know, we're going to keep pursuing that because there's one thing, if I know, if I know men, is that, is that when we have challenges, well, okay, how are we going to beat this? I, I was talking to my dad once, and I was like, and it's not about you, but it was, it was about like, you know, she keeps complaining and I keep giving her the solutions, but she doesn't listen to me. And my dad's like, listen, it's because you stop giving her solutions. Just shut up and listen. That's all they want you to do is listen. That's all, that's all we want you to do is just be quiet and listen. He's like, well, because what do we do? We want to we want to conquer these things. All right, here's what you got to do, and then I don't ever want to hear about it again, you know? Um, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's in that as, as these challenges of being a man comes up, we, we want to beat these challenges, right? And so we go to the Lord because, you know, he, beat, he defeated sin. And we go to him. And so, and so God takes me to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. And he says, uh, it says there, and this doesn't, help, doesn't do anything good for me at the time. But it says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. Great, thanks God. <laughs> if I like, get fired or something, I'm an unbeliever. I love that. That's awesome. You know, and God's like, no, you idiot, listen. And, uh, and no, and, and as, God, as God is speaking to me, it's like, no, it's the, the fact that you're pursuing those things, that you're coming to me. And I'm saying, you know, as, as I was, you know, I could take a few fish. Even my, even my apostles, for God, I fed like almost 10,000 people at one point. And they said, how are you going to do this? You know, and God was, you know, God, like I said, God can make it rain bread. Um, 
and I'm going to do that with you. And, but something he, made, he had me think about this is the responsibility that he, he wants you to, um, to have over your family. All the things I'm, I'm going to have responsible for getting this family. And yes, it absolutely makes work. It uh, means working. And if, you know, if, I mean, come on, like even the unbeliever, if you let your family starve to death, you're, you're, just, you're just terrible, right? You know what I mean? There's, I mean, what, what, I'm not trying, you know, I understand there's sensitive situations, he, even probably here, and I don't mean to cheapen any hardships that you may be going through, but like, it's kind of hard to starve, at least in California. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I'm not saying it's impossible, but like, I'm, I, what, I guess what I'm saying is if you purposely go out of the way to harm your family because of the opportunities that we do have to be able to feed them, you know, to go out and um, at the very least, work somewhere or, or get food, the charities, whatever. You know, but like even to an unbeliever, if you purposely hurt your family, you're kind of looked at like, man, you're messed up. But yes, work, obviously. Yes, provide and do man stuff. That's what it says in my notes. <laughs> and yes, be asked to fix something on YouTube. Um, and so you go to YouTube on how to do it and then pretend that it was you and take all the credit for it. Yes, you know, put the Christmas lights up and put the plug in a really, you know, funky place on the roof so that it's super awkward every time you have to plug the stupid thing in. You know, man stuff. But, this, but being the spiritual provider of the house, too. And that's what God showed me. If you don't spiritually provide as the head of your household, you're worse than an unbeliever. And Because you know why? Because that's where it starts. And you maybe, maybe, maybe you're sitting here, you don't have a man. You know, maybe you're sitting here, you don't have a husband. Well, guess where that falls on, Mom? It falls on you. Maybe the husband is always at work, or some, I don't know. Whatever the excuse, leader of the household, God expects you to, to spiritually provide for these people. Because what, it, what, is, what does God say in, in, in um, and I'm going to say this at the end, but what does he say in, in his Sermon on the Mount? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I will provide these things, God's saying, but you come after me. You worry about me. You take your family, this picture of marriage, which is a picture, a perfect picture of Jesus, Jesus' relationship to the church, and you come to me with that, and I'll make it rain bread in your house. I will make sure you have food. You're not going to accidentally die from starving to death, appear before me, and I'm going to be like, oh, Sean, I totally forgot you existed. I'm sorry, let you starve to death on accident, you know. But be the spiritual provider too. If you don't start there, um, then, you, if, then you can't feed the 4,000. And that starts with your spiritual life. It moves into your family and it, and it applies to providing material things. If it, provi- if it applies to providing material things, then doesn't it just as much um, as spiritually, the, the spiritual well-being of your family? You know, at the very least, taking them to church. Or at the very least, sitting down and doing devotions. You are what you teach, and your children will be what you put in, put in them. For example, my, okay, my, my, my mom read to us, like, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say what books, because, you know, listen, I was outnumbered. I was the only boy, so we did, you know, things like Laura Ingalls Wilder, which is actually a phenomenal series. Seriously, if you want to learn about the frontier, you know, I'm pretty sure we probably read things like Pride and Prejudice, and, you know, she didn't really read too many Star Wars books at all. But she taught, but she put me, she put a passion for reading into my heart. And it's funny because like I started reading and I, when I, when, when the reading lamp came on, man, I was like, I went from, I would go to my mom and be like, mom, I'm bored. She could go read a book. I'd be like, I just told you I was bored. I don't want to be more bored. Like what's wrong with you? And, uh, and then it went from like, she would come in and be like, okay, you need to go outside and play. It's been like 18 hours and you're reading this dumb book, you know? 
But it's because she put that into me. You know, she put, I mean, my parents put the word of God into me, and it was there whether I liked it or not when I'm like some drunken idiot at a party and I'm trying to preach to people because, you know, I was just in sin and terrible, but, uh, but it's because the word of God is burning inside of me. Not that it was, it was completely wrong of me to do that, but I'm not endorsing that at all. But I'm just saying it's because the things that they were implanting. You raise your children. If, you, if, if you're a family that likes to go dirt, back, dirt, bag, dirt bike riding, what are the odds that your kids are going to be into? If you're super into cars and you're always working on cars and you like nice cars or whatever, or fixing up cars and you're always bringing the boy out to hold the flashlight and hand you the wrench, what do you think? He's probably going to learn something from it. So feed your family spiritually. Feed your family the spiritual things of God, the Word of God. Put that into deep into their souls, and that will come out. My, my dad went to work every single day. Would drive hours if he had to. Would come, you know, worked his feet. Uh, we, I, I, don't, I don't know how much you guys know about it, but he, he, they had like something like three people file bankruptcy in a row against him or something like that. So that, like, I mean, if you're in construction, you have to, you're depending on large portions of money, you know, at once. And so when that money doesn't come in, well, well how are you going to pay the bills? You know, there's a lot banking on this check, and, you know, now, now they can't afford to pay you. You know, my dad could have filed bankruptcy. We could have, he could have sold the house, and we could have been somewhere else. But, you know, he didn't. He got up and continued to go to work. And that work ethic is planted deep inside of my heart. Sometimes it's annoying. <laughs> I don't want to get up early and go to work, but... But it's something I don't know any other way. I have to work hard. When pouring the gospel into my life, and I could pour it into my family, and, hope, and, and, and the hope, the, the sincere hope, is one day they will pour it into their family one day. The promise um, in Proverbs, Proverbs 22, verses 67 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And then the next verse after that, and I really like this, it says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. I think those verses are really tied together. Raise your children up in the way that they should go, in the end they will not depart from it, and I don't think they will be the ones being ruled over. The only one though they will be ruled over um, by is the Lord. And so you, you see the, the coalition between those two verses. They won't depart from the things that you raised, and you will give them those things that they need for life so that they're not the ones that are, that are subjected to the lender in life, that they're not the ones subjected to the world or subjected to the enemy, or even maybe, you know, by the grace of God, you put enough financial sense into them, even if they don't completely follow it, so that they, they, they're not subjected to these things. And you know what that is? This whole thing I've been saying and harking on this whole entire thing in Matthew is discipleship. True disciples are made in the house. God can use other people to disciple your children, but God wants you to do it. Why? Because marriage and the family is the picture of Christ to the church and the trinity of God so that we can understand. In families, we're made whole. In families, we are made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. Direct them in their way. This is, this is discipleship. You see them every day. You know their strengths. You know their weaknesses. The, the direct them in the way they should go is you studying your children, is you studying your family and your wives and seeing their strengths and seeing their weaknesses. Um, parents, I don't see any reason why you should not absolutely know the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God has for your children. Well, what's my gift of the Holy Spirit? I don't know. What's your gift? I don't know. That should never come out. You should be like, yeah, you know, 
you know, David does worship. Jonathan has the gifts of the Holy Spirit, a bass playing. No, I don't know. But like, you know, but you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Sean can t- name his, his, the gifts of the Holy Spirit for his children. If he can, he needs to talk to his children. But, uh, but you see what I'm saying? It's, it's that, that word is directing them, knowing their strengths, knowing their weaknesses, and being like, you know, son, you're really good at this. Maybe you should think about pursuing this as a career. You know, you're, 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 maybe you're not so good at, you know, talking to everyone all the time. You're not really personable, but, you, you know, you have some really good insight and wisdom. Maybe, maybe you should talk to that person. Maybe, they, you, you know, they would be really accepting of you talking to them because they're not, you know, all wild either. You know, just knowing that, you know, giving them life advice, and that's what we need to be doing is giving them life advice, sitting down, speaking to them, getting to know them, and absolutely 110% pointing the word of God and praying and setting the example, but also, uh, you know, knowing your family. And leading them, because that's what God did to those apostles. He knew their strengths. I, I'm absolutely convinced when he, when he paired them up, it was probably in, in strengths and weaknesses that they didn't have within each other. Like, if Peter lacked, you know, tact, which he really seemed to, you know, and maybe, maybe you know, Andrew, his brother, had tact, that, maybe that's why he stuck them together when they went two by two, if that's what he, in fact, did when he stuck them out two by two. When he stuck, when he, when he, I can't help but wonder, when he stuck... Matthew the tax collector, and did he stick Simon the zealot, who would have been sworn enemies, to work some stuff out? You know, and, and so, and, and that's what I think. He knew, but he knew them. He knew how they functioned. He knew how they were going to be used. In fact, he knew how they were going to die for him one day, even. If you're not raising them spiritually, you are far worse than an unbeliever because you know the truth and you are refusing to give it to them. And then you can turn them into providers as they seek first. Seek ye first. You instill the holiness factor, and the providing factor comes in line. Again, Matthew six thirty three: Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Teaching them what it means to, to seek the Lord. Teaching them what it means to tithe. That it's not just, you know, oh yeah, it's just what you do. You give money to the church. No, that's not it at all. It's, it's, it's you're, 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 you're pursuing the Lord. You're giving back. You're, you know, you're, you're, you are a born-again believer. So, you know, if, like I joke jokingly around, is like if you were a, a Chris, if you're, you know, a golfer, you're going to buy golf stuff. You, you, you pour into what you are about. You know, and so you, you teach them these things. You teach them to seek God. God is not a God that owes people. One day you will be paid what you're owed. And you know, we, don't, we don't just only do it to, you know, well, good, all right, here you go. <laughs> you, you know, we, we just, it's, it's our loving, obeying relationship, and that's what we need to be raising them as we seek you first. God is the connecting factor in your family's life. He makes us whole. Uh, Jesus says, Matthew five forty eight. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Again, just on the surface of that, yeah, obviously not. You're not going to be perfect like God's perfect ever. It's Jesus that makes you perfect. But it's, it's that wholeness. There's more to it. You can like, use that, that, that when you think of holy, think of wholeness. And that the only way you have that is by going to the altar of God every single, not here, I'm just being dramatic. If you go to the altar of God in your prayer life every single morning by opening your Bible, by being in prayer, taking care of yourself before the Lord, saying, what do you want of me? And God saying, this is what I want of you. And then saying, what do you want of my family? You know, I think you need to focus on, you know, turns David more, or you need to focus on Jonathan, or, you know, Sam, I, I kind of want this from Sam today, Sean. You know, go, I want you to, you know, and knowing that, recognizing the voice of your master and realizing that's how you're whole. There he is. That's how you're whole. Is by the Lord. Is by that family relationship with Almighty God. That's what makes us whole. 
And that's what people see. That's the goodness of God. That's what people see. Like, that's the, that's the common denominator is this holiness. And it's why the goodness of God leads people to salvation. It's because they want to be a part of that. No one came to salvation because Sean knows a lot about the Bible, I promise you. People come to salvation because of the holiness of Jesus and the goodness of that family type of saving relationship. That Sean follows this because he believes it. Sean, Sean, they see my passion because I'm passionately believing that one day Jesus is going to say my name and present me before God. So therefore you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're lacking that today, and if you're not born again, you can be seriously, it's, it doesn't even, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not the prayer you say, it's not the repeat after me prayer even. It's the believing in your heart, the Lord Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins. And if you think about how simple that is, it's just making a conscious decision to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Realizing he died on the cross for your sins, that he took your sins, and that he, he, he destroyed your sins on the cross, and that he rose from the dead. And you proclaim that, then, then when, when you're standing before him in judgment, he's going to be like, yes, that one is mine. You know, that, that even if you're an unbeliever, that you, know, have, you have no idea what God has prepared for you since the foundations of this earth. But you can have that idea when you become born again. You don't have to wait. We're not, we're not, we're not only strictly waiting on, I don't know if there's an unbeliever in here, but like, I don't, we're not just waiting on death to see all these great things because we know in that family whole relationship, that wholeness, holiness, we see those things now. God gives us gifts now, and he does it through our relationship with him and our relationship through human contact, through people. The thief on the cross didn't repeat after the Lord to get saved. It's not hard. Even that, you know, it's, it's, it's just not hard. I mean, it's, there's, there's a burden to it in, in, that, in that, you know, you're, you're, you're picking up your cross and following him. But man, there's a burden to everything in life. This one's easy, Jesus says. This one's light. There's nothing difficult about this. Obedience is probably the worst part because, you know, we have this flesh. But that's why we have that cross with us, right? Because we, we nail those things to the cross. That's why we have an altar wherever we go. It's the Holy Spirit and it lives inside of your heart that any place, no matter where, even if they throw you in prison, that you can come before the altar of God and you have the word of God in your heart because you have the Holy Spirit. If there were somehow, I said this at the small group, somehow the whole entire world was able to, and this will never happen, get rid of all the Bibles. You think God's going to be like, ah, I don't know what to do now. No, he's going to say, okay, well, Sean, <laughs> we're going to do this. And the, and the word of God will come out because Jesus made a promise. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means ever pass away. That means in the thousand-year reign, that means after the thousand-year reign, you can go back and read Zephaniah. And then, that's crazy. That's crazy cool. I don't know. I keep saying crazy. I joke around, you know, there's a big, long story I'm going to get into about um, Lindsay and I and how we had a verse from Zephaniah um, be one of the um, key factors of us being together. And so it's going to be funny to me to go to heaven and find the prophet Zephaniah and be like, hey, listen, man. He's probably going to look at me and go, what? My, my book? You know, but that's the word of God. And that's the power of it. And that's why we need to be pouring into our children. That's why I go to the Lord every day and for, you know, because to be made whole. By providing for your family, you, uh, you spiritually, you show the wholeness or the, the holiness. Remember that you are a picture of Christ to the church. Ephesians 5, 22, I'm sorry, 22, 23, it says, For the husband is head of the wife, um, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the sa savior of that body. 
So if you're representing Jesus to this family, to, to, to this woman, and you're blowing it, you're not spiritually providing, you're not providing, providing, you know, physically providing, and you're misrepresenting Jesus, knowing full well what the Lord says, you better be careful. You, better, you best go before the Lord. You have some things to talk about with him. Jesus, back in Matthew, says, and he took, or Matthew says about Jesus, and he took the seven loaves and fish and gave, gave them, broke and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they, so, so they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Now those that ate were about 4,000 men, besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. So how do we feed the 4,000 so that we even have some left over like the apostles? One mouth at a time. It's, it's our mouth first. We come before the Lord. We, we receive from the Lord. Understanding that God is whole, that he wants that for you. Be that, uh, be that to your children. Represent Christ to your wife. Represent Christ to your children. Because even in that, even in that, I'm suspecting, you know, in all the time I've been married, you know, there's going to be times where it's, you're going to have to be Christ in those relationships. She's expected to, to behave like a Christ-like manner as well, but man, I'm speaking to you because I'm a dude. But you know, women, you're going to benefit from this marriage to that dude. Represent them. Any, and you know, any boy can make children, but it takes a man to raise them. I completely ripped that off of a pastor, by the way, if you like that. Sandy Adams. But it's so true. Behave Christ-like when she's not because God's holding you responsible for it. Because you're representing him. If you're representing him in anything, there's going to be, in, uh, what is it, 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about that. You're going to stand before the Lord and answer to him, Christian. Not in judgment as, you know, God's not going to be like, five years in hell for you. You know, it's not going to happen like that. But, he's gonna, but I think there's going to be things that God's going to be like, <laughs> you know, I gave you these, these things, Sean. Let's talk about what you did. You know, I'm like, okay. You know, and it's because Jesus loves you. He's going to do that. But you represent Christ to your wife. You better represent Christ to your wife. And ladies, you too. If you, if, you, if you are Christ-like and you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you are born-again believers, represent Christ to your husband in your actions. In your, in your, in not just being subservient to him like, you know, do what I say because, let's be honest, that doesn't work. No, no you, you submit to him as the head of the church. But isn't relationship, relationships and marriage, it's, it's a give-and-take thing? Like, if, if Lindsay is just like, oh, whatever you want, I don't care. I'd be like, what's wrong with you? You know, I value her wisdom. I value who she is as a person. But I'm held to the responsibility of being the head, the spiritual head of that family. And if you guys don't follow through, or if I don't follow through on that, I'm worse than an unbeliever, the Bible says. Get into the Word. Raise them right. Go to work. Find out what they're good at. Pour into them. Be responsible. Have a godly and wealth inheritance for them. Your, child, uh, your children will pour into whom, uh, whom pour into others. I don't know if I worded that right. Your children will pour into other people. That's how you feed the 4,000 and have leftovers. That's how you're full. That's where the wholeness comes in, is being, spirit, is being Christ to these people. Your wife is being Christ to these kids. That's how, I, I'll venture to say, that's how the next revival is going to start maybe in this nation or just around the world, is when families rise up and start making disciples within the four um, walls of their own home. Jesus did something with the Jesus people movement. It was fantastic. It was amazing. He took hippies that didn't know, diddly squat about the Bible and turned them into these Christians, right? And then put them under a, 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 a 40-year-old fat bald guy named Chuck Smith 
who was like a complete Republican kind of thing, t- talking to these left-wing hippies doing drugs, you know, and, and poured into their lives, and look what happened. But let me just say that with the power of the Holy Spirit in me and everything that I believe is I think God's going to start a revival by using, using kids that grow up under godly parents and are raised right, that have the word poured into them, that they can't sit there and hear this anymore during, in a college class because, oh, you're wrong. This is what the Bible says. That people will look at them and be like, you know, you keep saying you're a Christian and it's crazy because you keep living it. I want that for myself. I th- I'm, I'm just going to say it. I'm convinced that's what the next revival is going to be. So if, if I'm right, if I'm right, we need to be doing that. We need to be doing what it says here is providing. And if I'm wrong that it won't specifically happen that way, then we really need to do that so that it does happen that way, and I'm not wrong. Pour into your families. You know, that's how you love them. That's how you show them Jesus. That's how you show them Christ is by spiritually providing. That's where it starts. Because if you're spiritually providing, you're going to be physically providing if you love God with all your heart, you're going to love people with all your heart because you're going to take on the heart of God and be Christ-like. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just come before you one more time, God, today. And Lord, I just ask that you would take my heart, heart, my disobedient heart, and give me a heart of flesh that I would provide and, and pour into my new family, Lord. But Lord, that we would all do that and that we would start here within Calvary Chapel of Ontario. Lord, that we would go and, Lord, however you decide to do revival, revivals are started by your words, Lord, by, by, your, by what you command, Lord. And whatever you command, we want to know, so give those things to us that we may be a part of another revival. But Lord, even if the revival only takes place within our families, Lord, then we will take anything that you want to give us, God. So please, Lord, just continue to pour in us. Give us a dedication for you, Lord, in your word. Lord, just, uh, we just ask for a blessing upon the holidays, Lord, those that are hurting, Lord. Help us to be able to see that and minister to people, Lord, as they're hurting, or even fellowshipping so that we may fellowship with them in their joy, Lord. Uh, we just love you. We praise you. Thank you for not knocking us off a mountain. In Jesus' name, amen. You all stand? Um, I don't think there's anything else going on. Uh, there's Next week, there is service.